it's always good to increase your strength and be able to stand up and walk without having it hurt. Yeah, I want to see you get stronger. So hamstring's a little sore. We're still keeping working though because Dave doesn't quit. Keep driving the knee through. He's doing well. He's, he's getting stronger. When I get quite ready to quit and go home, you uh, tell me to keep doing it. Three, two, one, rest. Excellent. Mary is working super hard. Way to go. Melissa has been amazingly encouraging. She can tell when I'm reaching a breaking point and as always has encouraging words so I cannot get too stressed about the task at hand. I think that it's really important, especially with the two of you working together, that it's a mother-daughter team. A little bit of accountability. You can encourage your mom and she can encourage you. I have no energy today, especially after work. And how about you? Ready. Excited. I'll help you where you stumble. <laughs> I'll pick you up when you're down. Your encouraging words to me during workout time has really helped. Well, you're doing a good job. Thanks. <laughs>
and just you were frustrated about something and emotionally you just kind of reacted to it and those words came out and you can't unsay them or maybe it was a time you asked a woman when her baby was due and she wasn't pregnant <laughs> and you just want those words to come back in. What is it about our mouth and our tongue that makes it so difficult to control? And specifically, what do we do about that? Well, to look into this, we're going to turn to our trainer, James, and read a passage of scripture that he has written, and his words are about the importance of our words. So if you have a Bible, I want to encourage you to open it up to James chapter 3. We're going to begin in verse 1. And if you want to use one of the Bibles we provide for you, they're in the pew back in front of you, and it's page 1842 in that blue Bible. As you're turning there, let me give a little context for this letter. Uh, this is uh, some words that James wrote to followers of Jesus, who at this point were scattered around the Roman world, and it's kind of a best of, of James's teaching. So these are some of the most important words that James says followers of Jesus need to get right, and some of those words again, are about our words. That was true for them, it's true for us. And James says this in James 3, starting in verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. It's kind of an odd and abrupt way to begin a new passage of instruction. But what James was doing is he was addressing a problem that was going on in these early churches. There were certain people who were drawn to the teaching position within local churches because of the authority that it gave them. The problem was they were misusing that privilege and that authority. They were using that teaching position and sometimes taking God's word and using it to score political points against their opponents or to take out personal vendettas against other people. And James is saying, that is wrong. That's a misuse of, of that authority. And as a teacher, you have authority, but you also have a heightened level of accountability. At some point, God's going to hold you accountable for what you were teaching. And believe me, that's something that any of us who teach the Bible in any capacity at all here at Wooddale Church, we know that and we hold the, the weightiness of that truth. But if you're not a Bible teacher, that doesn't mean that you get a free pass on this. Because I think James is making a larger point. And it's, the reality is, is that all of us have roles in our life in which our words carry more weight. Here's what I mean by that. Pastor Dale, our senior pastor, our teaching pastor, uh, when he's up here teaching us about God's word, his words carry a lot of weight because of the role that he holds. But if Dale starts giving us some opinions or commentary on the U.S. economy, it may be interesting, maybe true, but it's not going to carry the same weight. And yet, if the chair of the Federal Reserve makes those same comments that Dale made, worldwide markets would respond. Why? Because of the role that that person holds. Their words carry more weight. And that is true for you and it's true for me, just in different ways. So if you're a supervisor or a boss in your place of employment, your words carry extra weight. And the higher up in the organization, the more authority you have within that organization, the more careful you have to be about the words that you say. If you're a teacher or an educator, your words carry great weight with those that you teach. And your students look to you for instruction and for guidance. If you're in the medical profession, your words carry enormous weight to your patients. They look to you for advice 
and guidance around their medical conditions and their, their whole physical well-being. If you're a therapist, people actually pay you for your words, and then they don't listen to them. <laughs> and if you're, if you're a, a parent, if you're a parent, your words carry some of the most weight. And the future of your kids can largely be influenced by the words that you speak, words of hope and promise, or words of limitation and barriers. And all of us are kids of somebody. And words that we speak to and about our parents carry enormous weight because of the role that we have as somebody's kid. And if you're a spouse or a significant other to another person, you have the unique ability to speak words of influence into some of the most intimate places and spaces of somebody's life. And that carries enormous weight. And it's so sad that often we are the harshest with people that we are the closest to. But James is saying that all of us are going to be held accountable for the words that we use in those roles where they matter the most. And that's a problem for us. And the reason it's a problem for us is because of what James writes next. He says this in verse 2. He says, we all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. Now, James is not writing this to encourage us, right? We could look at this scripture and say, well, nobody's perfect, so we all make mistakes, we all struggle with our mouth, so, you know, that must mean that God's really not going to hold us accountable for what we say. And James is saying, oh, no. He's writing this to warn us. He's writing this to warn us because small as it may be, our tongue has the ability to influence our entire being. And to prove that point, James is going to give to us three different illustrations. Here's the first one. He says, when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Now, if you've ever seen a small child on top of a large, massive horse, you have the visual image of this. Here's actually a photo of it. And you have this, this little girl on top of this massive and strong, powerful horse. The reality is that horse could go wherever it wants to go. But yet, you put a bit into its mouth, and then just the ever so slight tug on the reins of a child will cause that horse to go wherever the child wants to go. The point that James is making is if you control the mouth, you control the creature. But he's not talking about horses. He's talking about you, and he's talking about me. Second illustration is this. He says, or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. And I wonder as James was writing this, if he had in his mind the large Roman military ships of the day. Some of those boats would carry up to 200 Roman soldiers and their supplies. And how intimidating that must have been to see these massive ships being navigated into port with such precision by just a few moves on the rudder. And James is saying that's true of your life. The entire direction and trajectory of your life can be influenced by something that is so small and it is your then he gives to us what I think is maybe his most striking illustration. He says, likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small 
spark. And we don't have to imagine much for this, do we? Because we've seen some of the devastating wildfires out west over the last several years. In California, in July of 2018, there was a fire called the Car Fire, C-A-R-R, that ravaged for weeks. It caused $1.6 billion in damage. And it was started when a vehicle that was pulling a trailer, and that trailer got a flat tire. And as the wheel struck the pavement, it caused a spark. And that spark lit some of the grass near the road on fire. And driven by strong winds, these images that you see here are the result of that spark causing so much destruction and so much damage. And isn't that true in our own lives? It's just a little spark of sarcasm. Just, just a little flicker of one more comment. It's just that, that little aside that you kind of toss in when you're finishing that text or writing that email or that snarky comment that you make to your parents as you're walking out the door. And the result is a relational firestorm that burns for weeks on end, long after you tried to extinguish it with the simple phrase, I'm sorry, or I was just kidding, or I didn't mean it. That's the potential of our tongue to cause so much damage. James says this in verse six, he says, the tongue is also a fire. It's a world of evil among parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body. This is what James is saying, it's the whole life. It's your whole being is corrupted just by your tongue. It sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. Whoa. At this point, you're like, James, come on, man. Like, it's just, it's just words, right? I mean, you said we all struggle with words. It's just words. In fact, we have a, we have a phrase in our culture about this, don't we? Sticks and stones may break my bones. Have you heard this? But words will never hurt me, right? Yet we know that's not true. We know it's not true because we've all experienced it. We've all spoken words that have caused so much damage, or we've received words that has caused so much damage. In fact, there are many of us, maybe all of us, who have a relationship in our life right now that is tense and fractured because of words that have been spoken. And the problem with our tongue and the problem with those words that cause so much hurt and so much damage is that we cannot control them. James says this in verse seven. He says, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. That was true then. It's even more true now. It's, it's amazing to me that we have people who on purpose get into bodies of water with orcas, right? The, the killer whales, right? And, and these are the same animals that in the wild have been known to take out a great white shark. And we have people that jump into the water with them to train them to jump up and splash and wave their flippers at people that pay money to come and see this. And, and so we can take that type of wild, powerful creature and we can tame it for just a handful of fish and yet no human being can tame the tongue. Isn't that amazing? James says it's a, it's a restless evil that is full of deadly poison. 
Why is that? Why is it that you and I have such a hard time with our tongue? And to understand that, we need to go all the way back, all the way back to the beginning, all the way back to creation, all the way back to our fall against God, all the way back to Genesis. And in the early part of Genesis, it is recounting for us creation. And there's a verse, Genesis 1.26, that is just packed full of so much great theology. And it describes how and why you and I were created. It says this, Genesis 1.26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image and in our likeness. Hang on to those phrases, image and likeness, those, those two words. So that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and over all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Interesting, isn't it, that James is alluding back to this account in Genesis when he talks about how we've tamed all these wild animals. But when it says that we were made in the image and the likeness of God, what does that mean, to be made in the image of God? What's God like? I mean, we, we could spend days talking about who God is and his nature and how that's been revealed to us through his word. But in the early part of Genesis, God is presented to us as the creator. God created. And how did God create? With his words. First part of Genesis, God spoke and it was. God spoke and it was. God spoke and it was. God created the world through his words. That's the power of God's words. And when he created you and me, he made us in his image and in his likeness. And one of the gifts that he gave to us were words. And words that are powerful and potent and also have a creative ability. Now, to be clear, our words do not have the same creative power that God's do. We can't speak nature into existence. But you and I, and we know this, our words create worlds. And they can create worlds of possibility and of hope, or they can create worlds of limitation and damage. It's the power of our words. See, God gave us powerful words to reflect his goodness, his graciousness, his love to the world around us and to all of creation. And what we did is we took those powerful, potent words that God gave to us as a gift and we use them not to glorify him, but to try to glorify ourselves. To make ourselves feel better and to make ourselves more like him, more like God. And I was reminded of this dual nature of our tongue as I was putting this message together. There, there was a season in my life when I really experienced this firsthand. Several years before joining staff here at Wooddale, I had a whole nother career, and that career began when I started in my first supervisory role for a company here in the Twin Cities. I was running their customer service department, and one of the women who was on that team that I managed uh, was a woman by the name of Barb. And Barb was this great woman who was just in the wrong role within the organization. And the more I got to know Barb, I had her take an assessment that determined what her strengths and what her gifts were. And this assessment found out that, or said that Barb was a woo. It stands for winning others over, W-O-O. -O. It just means that she's incredibly outgoing and she's just this wonderful person that quickly connects and builds relationships with other people. And if you met Barb, you'd be like, absolutely, that is true. 
And so when we found out, I found out, our team found out about this, we started calling Barb our woo. And so she'd walk into a room and we'd all go, woohoo, you know, as Barb walked in and had little plaques made that put on her desk that described her as a woo. And we called her our woo. And every time we did this, her face would just light up. And the more I learned about Barb and the rest of the team, I, I made some reorganizations, moving people around to try to put them in roles that maximized who they were. And I put Barb in a position where she could be in more direct contact with our customers on a more frequent basis. A few weeks go by, and I start getting phone calls from our customers thanking me and thanking her for the great job that Barb is doing. They tell me, I just got to let you know, Barb is awesome. It's so great to have her here, and she's just made such a big difference, and thank you so much for her being part of the team. A few more weeks go by. Barb comes in to see me. She sits down at my desk. She said, Kyle, for 17 years, I've been coming to work in this company. And for 17 years, I've had an annual performance review that has told me that I am an excessive talker. <laughs> that I just talk too much to customers about things that are unrelated to work. And she said, now you're telling me I'm a woo. And the thing that everyone said was the worst thing about me, you're saying is now the best thing about me. And she said, I gotta tell you, I like coming to work as a woo a whole lot more than I do as an excessive talker. And a whole new world of hope and possibility and performance opened up for Barb because of words that were spoken to her and about her. Okay, same team, same season, different employee, very different result. I'll call her Sue. That's not her name. But uh, Sue and I didn't get along. And one of the reasons Sue and I didn't get along is she didn't think I was doing a very good job managing the team. And I know this because she told people about it. And specifically, she went and started telling some people in senior management about it. And when I found out, the words that I used were not positive, edifying words. And, and Sue and I talked a little bit about it. But as a young manager who was inexperienced and probably a little insecure, I spent a whole lot more time talking to other people about it. And I went to some of those same people in senior management. And, you know, I, I called it different things, you know, mentoring or uh, seeking advice or just trying to vent or trying to process or you can call it whatever you want to call it. We have all these names to dress up sin. I'll just tell you what it was. It was gossip. And it was wrong. And I have to wonder, I have to wonder what kind of limiting world I created for Sue because whenever I tell those stories, I always told them from my perspective. And isn't it funny when we tell those stories from our perspective? We're always the hero in those stories, right? <laughs> it's amazing to me, same situation, same role, same team, same tongue, two completely different responses. One that creates a world of hope and possibility and one that creates a world of limitation and sin. That's the trouble with our tongue, and that's what James is driving at. We see this when he says in verse 9, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing, my brothers and sisters. This should not be, and it shouldn't be. And some of us are guilty of violating and doing this very thing already today. 
We, we just got done singing songs of praise and glory to who God is and his greatness and his nature. And yet sometime this morning before coming into service, you texted something, you tweeted something, you said something about another human being that was made in God's image. We've already violated this. And the thing is, is we would never do this with other parts of creation, would we? You wouldn't wake up some morning and look outside and go, God, I just got to tell you, this is the most worthless sunrise that you have ever created. I mean, it's just terrible. We would never say that, right? And yet, when we say that about other people, isn't it so much worse because they were made in God's image? And so it's about this point that we're like, okay, James, we get your point. And James, our trainer, goes, no, no, workout's not done. We've got one more set, and here it is. Verse 11, he says, can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives, or can a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. And James is paraphrasing the teaching of Jesus, who said himself in Matthew 12, 33, make a tree good and its fruit will be good, or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. And in case we missed it, in verse 34, Jesus says, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. And that's the problem with our tongue, is that it's connected to our heart. And Jeremiah says to us that the heart is deceitful above all things, and there is no cure. Whoa. But folks, there's a great hope. And here's the great hope. The great hope is that Jesus is not in the business of giving us a little bit better heart. That Jesus didn't come and you didn't accept him to come into your life so he could kind of fill in all the gaps where you didn't quite make it. That, that's not why he came. He came to give you a new heart. And that's the promise that when God comes into our life, we accept Christ, he makes us a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Folks, this is amazing news. We can be transformed and changed. And you go, Kyle, I believe that. That's why I'm here and I've seen that. And God has given me a new heart. But then what's the trouble with my tongue? Because it still keeps running around. And the problem is that our tongue has muscle memory. It's been attached so long to a deceitful heart that it just doesn't know how else to operate. And so that means that you and I have an opportunity. See, because Jesus has given us a new heart, we have an, an opportunity to retrain our tongue. And just like if we were gonna go to the gym and start a fitness plan, a trainer may tell us that some of the movements that we're doing, while they feel natural to us, are not the right movements. And the reason they feel natural to us is we've been doing them for so long, the wrong way that we need to relearn how to move certain muscles in our body. In fact, to kind of check that point, I reached out to some of our trainers who have been leading our trainees through some of this fitness plan this summer, and I said, is this, is this true? Have you experienced this? And almost immediately, all of our trainers got back to me and said, yes, this is, in fact, this is the case. Everyone's kind of going through this. And Luis, one of our trainers, emailed me back and he said, uh, yes, it's true, but I'll do you one better. I bet it's true for you too. And he said, why don't you come to my gym in Edina and I'll work you out and I'll show you all the ways that you're moving where you think it's right, but it's actually not the right way to be moving. And so I did, and we brought a film crew there to add to the humiliation. 
And if you want to see that video, you can uh, go to our website, wooddale.org slash get-fit. That's where all of the videos throughout the series are being housed. And uh, you can see, kind of Luis explain this to us uh, in more fitness terms. But what I found out is that when I was squatting, I was too far forward. And the reason is I've just been doing that my whole life wrong. And Luis was explaining to me that I could damage my knees. And he was showing me how I need to remove. Even though it feels unnatural, it's now the right way to do it. The same is true for our tongue. And so I want to give to us a workout for the week for how we can start to retrain our tongue. Here is the first step. Uh, sometime this week, set some time aside, and I want you just to be quiet. Actually, we could probably just stop right there, couldn't we? Like, that's it. Like, just stop moving your tongue, and then everything gets better. But just be quiet. And to find a quiet place, and when you get to that quiet place, uh, grab a notebook or something to write with. And then ask God, to reveal to you all the things that your tongue has been saying. It may be things that you don't even realize are coming out of your mouth because it's just so natural to you. But ask God to reveal all those things that are coming out that are wrong, that are harmful, that are sinful, that are causing limitations for other people or yourself. Maybe he'll reveal to you that your sarcasm has just gotten out of hand. Or maybe you've been talking back to your parents. Or maybe you've been speaking ill about your aging parents. Or maybe you're just beyond frustrated about your boss and you're just telling anybody and everybody about it. Perhaps that your vocabulary has included words that are harmful, things like stupid, worthless. You're limiting other people by the words that you're saying. But ask God to reveal to you what's coming out of your mouth. And then ask others. See, other people can be like a mirror for us. When you're trying to correct a movement, when you're moving, you look in the mirror because it reflects back what you're actually doing. Other people can be mirrors in our lives to let us know some of the words that we're saying that are harmful or that are causing pain. And if you ask, people are going to tell you. And that'll be an opportunity for you to add to your list. So that's our way of, of getting a list of all the things that are coming out of our mouth, natural as it may be, that are wrong and harmful, that we need to stop. But it's not enough just to know what is wrong. We also have to then now replace it with something. That's part of the retraining process. And here's what Proverbs 16:24 tells us. It says, kind words are like honey, sweet to the soul and healthy for the body. Isn't it interesting that scripture is just so consistent? There's this theme throughout scripture that's saying the words that are spoken have a connection to a person's entire body. That's amazing, isn't it? And scripture tells us to have kind words, that they're like honey. In the ancient Near East, when about the time these proverbs would have been penned, uh, honey was viewed not only as something that was sweet, but also as something that had a medicinal property. And so the image is that the kind words that you and I offer to other people can be like medicine to the weary and to the wounded. And if we can stop running our mouth, we can start realizing that God has given us these words to bring hope and healing to people that he has placed in and around our life. So I wanna encourage you as you do this exercise, you do this workout, ask God if he would give to you three people every morning, just their names or, or who they are, and that you can pick those people out ahead of time to go and offer kind words to them. Because you never know the type of impact 
that that may have on those other people. Sometimes. The trouble with our words isn't just words of commission, things that we've spoken. Sometimes the trouble with our words can be words of omission, things that we haven't said that we should have said. And as followers of Jesus, there are two phrases that I think need to be quick on our lips. Here's the first one. I'm sorry. James says that we all stumble in many ways. And if we all stumble in many ways, we all should be quick to say, I'm sorry, in many ways. And when we say, I'm sorry, it doesn't take all the pain away. It doesn't instantly fix what was done or doesn't unsay what was said. But it goes a long way to starting a reconciliation process. And at least it acknowledges the wrong that was there. And I tell you what, just around you, if you, if you do this around your peers, if, if you're at the office sometime next week and, and something comes out of your mouth that should not have come out of your mouth, if you stop right there and say, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. Or you do that in the locker room with some of your, your, your fellow athletes. I mean, people will start, turn and look at you like, what just happened to you? And you can be like, I was in church this weekend. That's what happened to me. You should come next week. And opportunity. Say, I'm sorry. The final phrase that I think as followers of Jesus, we have to make sure we are uttering is this one here, I love you. Some of you have family members in your life right now who are desperate to hear you say those words to them. And I don't care if you didn't grow up in a household that used those phrases. I don't care how you're feeling about certain things. I don't care what you think they might think about you. I don't care how long it's been or what's gone on between the two of you. But there are people that need to hear you say, I love you. And the reason we need to do that isn't just to fluff people up. It's because we were made in God's image and in his likeness. And God, our Father, is oh so frequent with the phrase, I love you, to us. Despite how many times we mess up and offend him. And he's so frequent with it. Every time you open up his word, there it is. I love you in so many different ways. And every time you look at the person of Jesus, it's like the biggest I love you ever from God. That he loved us so much that he was going to come and be with us so that we can be back in relationship with him. Folks, this is why God has given to us our words. So that we can reflect his love and his good and his glory to the world around us. And we need to retrain our tongue to do just that. Because people around us need to know that God loves them. And they need to know that we do too. Father God, we come before you, Lord, with words. Father, words that you have given to us. And Lord, we confess to you all the times that we've become, Lord, just, just lax with our words. Father, that we, just, we haven't thought it through. Lord, we've just let our tongue run. And Father, hurt and damage has resulted. And Father, I pray. Lord, that for each of us as we go into this next week, Lord, that you would allow us to become more aware of the power and the beauty and the potential of our words. And Father, may we use those words to honor and glorify you. 
And Father, when people think about our words, they think about what's on our lips. Father, may it be that your praise is what is often coming out and what is often on our very lips. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.